Hello, sweet dorks. We are new to Who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new. Or just need an entry into classic Doctor Who. We are the chaps with suggestions for you. My name's Colin. I'm Dan. I'm Stephen. And I'm Peter. Oh, oh hey. hey. What we have here? Welcome, Pete. Hey. Oi, oi, oi. At last. Pete's joining us today uh, for Day of the Daleks. A fun 70s Pertwee romp. Would you Very gentlemen... So. Uh... Yeah, an adventure through time. Yeah. yeah. It's not always a fun adventure through time. Sometimes they're having... They're, they're, it's pretty nasty. They get tortured. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pete used to join us uh, back in the day to watch Doctor Who together as a group. Pete, tell us a little bit about your first introduction to Doctor Who. Who was your first Doctor? My... Uh, well, the first Doctor I remember watching uh, seriously was Peter Davidson mm. and that would have been when I was really young but yep. my first real solid memory of Doctor Who would have been as, as a toddler catching the intro mm. and um, I really loved the intro and uh, I used to get closer and closer with every time I'd watch it. <laughs> Eventually I got to the point where I was using the TV like a yes. VR screen <laughs> oh. and I'm pretty sure I had my first drug experience <laughs> in the intro to Doctor Who because it- ever since then I've been hooked. And did you have your hands around your eyes and blocking out? I used to do that stuff as well. That's great. You feel like you're traveling down the yeah, tunnel? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was that the um, Tom Baker intro? Or was it would the... have been the Tom Baker intro okay. for sure. Okay, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, that was the best one to do that tunnel vision That's... thing. Awesome. And you love Day of the Daleks, right? Day of the Daleks is a great episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it my, really is. My dad always. Uh, brought me up on Dalek episodes and uh, ah. it's a fond one from when I was a kid. My dad was my introduction to Doctor ah, Who mainly. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. He's an yeah. uh, English uh, immigrant and yeah, loved his sci-fi. So <sighs> hence it was always part of the background in my house. Mm. Pretty much exactly the same as me. Yeah. English immigrant dad, loved his sci-fi, loved his Star Trek, loved his Doctor Who. Yeah. And it was always on the house as a result. Yeah, yeah Star Trek and Doctor Who were on heavy rotation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Day of the Daleks, the first story of season nine, broadcast from the 1st to the 22nd of January 1972. (laughs) Shall we have a look at our production team? Writer. Louis Marx, who returns for the first time in many years. I think his last Mm. story was during William Hartnell's reign. Uh, And here he is with, I think, one of the the most fun 70s Pertwee stories that we can... That's right. So he did do a hunt. I think he did Planet of the Giants yep. before this. He also wrote The Planet of Evil and The Mask of Mandragora. Yeah, he goes on to do Mandragora, which I love. Yeah, yeah you love yeah. Mask of Mandragora. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, script editor? It's Terrence Sticks. Ah, great Terrence Sticks. Oh, the yes. wonderful Terence Dix. Um, I've mentioned him before as perhaps the man who most understands the mechanics of Doctor Who. Um, mm. I, I don't think my mind has, has sort of changed on that. Very much someone who guided Doctor Who into, I suppose, a golden era. Yeah, he, he did most. He did a lot of the novelizations as well. Yeah, even oh if God, the, how many? Like 50 plus? Well, even if the, writer, the main writer of the story is someone else, he would often do the novelizations. Yes, that's right. And because and of that, yeah, he's got quite a conventional mm. sort of standard style that you can sort of pick up. Definitely. Yeah. And, much, and much is the case here. Um, Louis Marx of course is the writer of Day of the Daleks but Terence Sticks did the novelisation so yeah. Yeah. why did he do that so why did how come he did all those novelizations? not I mean, that I'm he, complaining well what happened is that they started up basically when he left the post of script editor at mm. the end of the Pertwee reign mm. and he was looking for a job and filled void quite nicely I nice think. little earner yeah, so um, how long after being script editor was he novelising the targets then well, we're looking at the sort of end of 1974, the Pertwee era. And ends. that's when the target started? To yeah. Oh, okay. Around about that yeah, time, right. 74, yeah. 75, yeah. Cool. Love so Terrence yes, the, uh, the mm. wonderful Terence Dixon mm. name that often pops up. Yeah, and again, someone who I think is responsible for getting generations of, of kids to read books. I think so. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Helped, helped me back All then. of us, for sure, yeah. hey? Yeah. <laughs> Played a big part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, the director of Day of the Daleks. <laughs> Paul, Paul Bernard? Paul Bernard. <laughs> yeah. 
And he, now, uh, he did. What did he do? Time Monster. Yep. Frontier in Space. Yep. So all Pertwee. Yeah. Yeah. I did read somewhere that he wanted he wanted to revive Doctor Who in between after 1989 when it when it was when it was some um, finished. He wanted to revive it, uh, and so they got they got into a story stage, but I don't think it ever got made. Mm. He was supposed to have two companions called Heart and Diamond. No. So I'm quite grateful that it was never made. <laughs> <laughs> and the producer Barry Letts, a big name for 70s Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, the other half of the the great production team, with along with Terence Dix, yes. in that period, nineteen seventy through to nineteen seventy five, very strongly mm-hmm. shaped the show in that yeah. period. I think absolutely, yeah. and I think it's you his know, baby. We, yeah, we mentioned this, didn't we, in Terror of the Autons? The long standing success and viability of Doctor Who as a as a long running sci fi show, uh, down to these two guys and, and Barry Letts uh, mm. in particular, in terms of uh, his role as producer. Yeah, he's, well, he's, he, um, well, he produced five years, mm. but uh, he was involved with the show pretty much from 67 to 81 mm. as he was writing and directing as well so yeah. um he what did he do he, he directed the enemy of the world the classic yeah, that was his first gig wasn't it yes yeah. uh terror of the orlons uh carnival of monsters planet of the spiders he also took over directing inferno when dougie camfield took uh, ill oh uh, yeah and uh he also did the android invasion for the baker era <laughs> and uh <laughs> whatever i love the android yeah, invasion. Don't, mm-hmm. even, yeah no, Mu- don't even yeah and uh much like uh peter bryant uh, last month with Tomb of the Cybermen, Barry Letts' uh, final contribution to, as the producer for Doctor Who was to cast Tom Baker as the fourth oh, Doctor. Yeah, yeah, so Peter right. Bryant cast John Pertwee before he before he left, and uh, in turn Barry Letts cast the next Doctor guiding, as well, guiding the show into the future. Yeah, Ooh, he also and cast uh, Sarah Jane Smith. Oh, oh did he? You've got to thank him for that one. Yep. Okay, wow. round of applause. She's <laughs> the wonderful Elizabeth Sladen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he always comes off as such a lovely dude in interviews. He's like a mm. kindly grandpa. Uh, and of course, Barry Letts' long shadow over Doctor Who doesn't end quite there. Mm. Uh, he's brought back as an executive producer at the time that John Nathan Turner takes the reins in 1980. Oh, wow. Yes, uh, of sort course. Sort of overseeing that season 18 transition out of Tom Baker into Peter Davison. So, mm. yeah, very much seen as a trusted hand by the BBC when it comes to yeah. Doctor Who. Brought in as an executive producer. Interesting. Is that because the BBC weren't... Uh uh, all that confident in John Nathan Turner? Didn't, didn't or, trust him uh, quite yet. Maybe yeah. there was an element. Obviously, he was his first role and it was a big show. So perhaps uh, the wise yeah. head of, of Barry Letts was seen as, as mm. someone who might be able to steady the ship. And so uh, we got our, uh, who's on our Titus team? Our Doctor is, of course, played by the wonderful John Pertwee. Yeah. I think he probably gives one of his strongest performances here <laughs> as the Doctor in Day of the Daleks. Uh, I don't know whether you gentlemen agree. Yeah, I've got a lot to say yeah. about John Pertwee in this story. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, I think um, this is a, good t- a real turning point for his Depiction as the doctor, and he's doing that real Pertwee thing where he's, mm-hmm. the, he's smarter than everyone. Oh yeah, everyone around him is uh, mm-hmm. you know silly and tiresome and irritating, and he doesn't suffer fools. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's three years in as as the doctor, and I think at this point he's probably pretty much got it down pat. He's he, uh, really all, hitting his straps at this yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. All the action as well, all the Pertwee action. He's got a, the three wheeler mm. running down corridors. <laughs> we get three Venusian uh, <laughs> <laughs> scenes in this yeah. one, which is just yeah, yeah. fantastic. I do love it. Hi. And the wonderful Katie Manning as Joe Grant. We've spoken about her um, in our Terror of the Autons episode, which was her first story at the mm. time. Yeah, and here we are two seasons into her reign. She sticks around for three seasons, and mm. I think we start to see her character develop a little bit more in Day of the Daleks as it does throughout all of season nine. Mm. Yeah, so she did. Uh, she did, So this is the start of season nine we're talking. She mm-hmm. did the rest of that season, of course, and then she did season 10 and then and then out so yeah okay. so three years as, as a companion it's uh, one of the longest running stretches as a companion mm. fantastic 
She's one of those. Archi- I, I do love Katie Manning. I do. I do. I've got a soft spot for her. Your Joy Grant's one of those archetypes, like those early yes, ones, where yes. she's they're sort of steering it away from screaming and making mm. coffee, and she's they they, give, they always give her a couple of badass moments in every well in, yeah. most, in most stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is her badass moment? She does something badass. Um, she does something cool. Well, no, she she she, she almost destroys a time machine. Um, and but oh yeah, but everyone's yeah, like, yeah, but it backfires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She like, takes oh, charge. Yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> ends up getting transported uh, two hundred years into the future. Yeah, that's yeah. not a badass moment. Sorry, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. And uh, as far as TARDIS teams concerned, guys. I think we should talk a little bit about our unit family here because yeah. although they aren't travelling companions of the Doctor, I do feel that for oh. John Pertwee's Doctor... Um, of course. They're a big well, they, when he's stranded, yeah, they are part of that. Basically, they're recurring the characters. In, um, they're quite, yeah, they're significant. Of course, we've got our Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart played by Nicholas Courtney once again. He's great. He's, yeah, he's great. the Doctor's mean to him again, always, you know, insulting his intelligence and calling him unimaginative and... And then he's one thing I really love about the Brigadier is that he's he always he's always deferent to his betters. You know that like when you've got mm. ministers or mm. anyone who's sort of from um, yep. the government, he's always very deferent to them, even when they when he's obviously exasperated. Yeah. With them. Even yeah. at the end when he yells at the he's minister, <laughs> he still calls him sir. Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. Like, you will stay here, sir. It's great. I love with uh, Lethbridge Stewart. He, um, you know, him and the Doctor have this great sniping relationship with each mm. other. You know, mm. the Doctor's constantly calling him an idiot, <laughs> but he also thinks of the Doctor as an idiot, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. of the fact that he travels through time and saves them saves the earth every week you know yeah. like do stop playing games doctor yeah. like it's always he always has a wry smile at the end. He's constantly yeah. smirking at him, you know. Yeah. Even when the yeah. doctor nicks that jeep, he's like, he, he, when he yells after him, he's, he's almost like he's just doing it out of habit. He's like, "Doctor, do come back!" Uh, and he, and <laughs> he almost gives that smile like, nah, "You son of a gun." Yeah. <laughs> I love the um, And of course, uh, we've got Sergeant Benton and Captain Yates again as well. So they're always a part of the uh, unit family too. Yeah, and they're sort of pushing the background in this one, mm. but they have a nice little scene involving uh, mm, <laughs> like cheese, cheese and wine. wine. Yep. Wandered in, and no, I'll take all those privileges, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want you to go look on. Uh, you, so I want you, I want you to check on uh, number three patrol. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna while eat, I eat this cheese, I'm gonna drink wine on duty. What? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, it's yeah, the 70s, it? man. Like I think they all probably did that. Yeah, he just he skulls just a glass and sip it either. He, no, no. Yeah, and you're not gonna talk to Joe Grant. I'm gonna talk to Joe Grant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there is that sort of long running. Particularly successful undertone <laughs> of a romantic relationship between the two. What yeah. was his little? Uh, what was his little joke? R H I P. Rank has its privileges. <laughs> yeah, which they used again, by the way, quite recently in the Ice Warriors story this oh. season. Empress of Mars. I didn't even pick yeah, it. So there yeah. you go. Mark Gatiss uh, nodding uh, to Day of the Daleks there. Mm. Isn't Pertwee uh, Gatiss' favourite Doctor? Isn't yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he is. Yeah, and doesn't it show? I've seen a, I've seen a picture of Gatiss dressed up as Pertwee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would like to say the likeness is striking, but uh, <laughs> there's only one John Pertwee. So, Pete, you're a long-standing Doctor Who fan as well. What are your views on the unit family and the unit years with John Pertwee and Katie Manning in particular? They're fantastic. I mean, I've always loved the, um, you know, the relationship between the Brigadier and the Doctor. And yeah, the Brigadier has always been my favourite. He's, uh, he's smirky, he's brash, and uh, but he's, you know, he's that classic uh, stuffy military guy. But, you know, every now and then gets a great one-liner mm. to, uh, you know, finish an episode or oh, whatever. I love how he always shoots from the hip as well. Yeah, yeah, he's not uh, backwards about coming forwards. He's very cool. Yeah, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Not backwards about coming forwards, yeah. yeah. Steve, if you were to... <laughs> Sum up Day of the Daleks in a one sentence, maybe a high concept, if you will. Uh, what would it be? Okay, so it's it's Doctor Who meets the Terminator 12 years before Hollywood does it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Spot on. Damning. <laughs> and true. Take that, John Cameron. <laughs> 
Um, guys, I don't know what's going on. I think we're getting a bit of ooh, a bit ooh. of interference yeah, or something. That wibbly wobbly. Oh, sounds a little bit like the uh, the time machine sound effect that the rebels have in, in be, Day of the Daleks. Actually, <laughs> like, it's like what the? <laughs> is that Clive? Clive, hey, y'all lads. Clive, have you built a time machine? And why are you in a monkey suit? I'm a time traveling gorilla. Oh. Clive, not Get that sort here. of gorilla. Have a banana. Excellent. Okay, so Clive's got a little confused. Yeah. Um, so as we all know, Clive's going to play our spoiler music at some point in time, and that's going to let us know that we're uh, we're all free and clear to talk a bit about Day of the Daleks a bit more in depth. Mm. And I don't know when he's going to do that. Um, oh, so I guess we'll just keep talking I now. Yes, I can uh, imagine it's going to be about. Mm. <laughs> And, uh, Thanks, Clive. It's quite surreal watching him play the spoiler music in a monkey suit. <laughs> I didn't know if he was the monkey or the ogren grinder. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Yikes, ogren grinder. That's pretty, yeah, that's getting cutting room floor. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so if you yeah. haven't watched the episode the yeah. story yet for some baffling reason, now is the time to go back in time mm. and watch it, but don't bump into your earlier self. Oh, very good. Yeah. You've got the Chesterfields of the wall pieces, the wood panelling. It's very dark, isn't it? It's, it's really dark, dark yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they, they might be just to cover embarrassments with sets. They, they, they choose to light it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's almost Hinchcliffe-y in how, how dark and like woody and baroque it is. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah. Yeah. It makes you want to light a cigar. Mm. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah. Get get out the good port. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would always be something like port or brandy yeah. or something yeah, gross yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, super sophisticated yeah. for the time, yeah. and but actually disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Much. So, um, Sir Reginald Styles, of course. Uh, what is he? He's a is he a UN diplomat? What is he? He's Minister? a he's representative. A de- mm. He's a representative. Um, Renowned so- peace talk. Initiator. So as far as the story is concerned, he's trying to instigate a, a, a peace conference at this stage uh, to try and avert a, a World War Three. World War Three <laughs> and, and some sort of nuclear disaster. Mm. So he's up late, working late, and uh, he hears something at the window. So uh, we get, I, I think, a really effective scene. Yeah. Uh, he goes to the window and opens it, and there's a uh, strange military resistance figure with a yeah. with a ray gun. Well, a gorilla, Clive. This type of gorilla. <laughs> yeah. A gorilla. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, you know, there's a bit of a struggle and then he just sort of disappears. And what's the audience thinking at this point? I, I think it's just a wonderful set piece with which to start a story. You know, yeah, it you, is. You yeah, have a mysterious sort yeah. of uh, occurrence happening right at the start. Great. It hooks you in mm. and you know that this is uh, clearly Doctor Who territory yeah. because there's something... Good bit of mystery, unanswered yeah. question. And it doesn't get answered for quite a while, actually. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, cool. it's yeah. immediately got you thinking, hasn't mm. it? And, I, and I, lo- I do love that back at, you know, the, ne- the, the next day at unit headquarters. The, the only report they've got is that apparently that he thinks he saw a ghost. So he yeah, he doesn't want to tell anyone about it because he think everyone's going to think he's mad. Yeah, yeah. The pressure's getting to him. Yeah. Yeah. He's cracking. Yeah. He's not fit for the job. And then they fly him. So they fly him off to meet the Chinese, right? Yeah, to Peking. Mm. So he's off to Peking. The next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say Peking a lot. They? Yeah, they do. And they this, also, yeah, sorry. I, I was going to say, this This flows on from uh, the previous season where we have Mind of Evil, which uh, is also something that involves oh, yeah, Steve, you were talking international about peace conferences and, and the Chinese. Yeah, mm. definitely. Uh, but of course, it sort of reflects what's happening at the time. Yes. Well, we might talk about that later, but essentially the emergence of China as a nuclear, nuclear power. Secret, uh, surprisingly emerging as a nuclear power in like 64. No one knew that they were making nukes and they just suddenly came out with this with this tech and it sort of yeah. shocked everyone, I think. It sort of yeah, threw the balance of, uh, of uh, you know, mutually assured destruction off. But then, so I guess this show is just using... 
China what was is. happening at the time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. and of course, Nixon's starting to make overtures about yeah. opening uh, diplomatic relations with the previously shunned Chinese, obviously because of the fact that they're a nuclear power. That yeah. must have come into the writing of this a little bit because they announced. Yeah. It. You said he announced it during his campaign or whatever. The yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, obviously, this is like happening pretty much concurrently with the time that it's mm. been written. Yeah. Mm. So I mean. Earlier, Steve, you said with your high concept for Day of the Daleks, it's uh, you know it's terminated but twelve years previous. Yes. Um, so we, this is a real time paradox story, and one thing that they do for the first time in the show, although it might be the same Doctor, it's the first time that there's two Doctors in the same room. <laughs> yeah, there's that bit <laughs> at the start where they yeah, is that, yeah yeah, and you're like, is that going to come back at the end? It, and it doesn't, doesn't, but it was yeah, meant. Well, to. It yeah, was it meant. To. I read that, and it does in the novelization. Is in the novelization. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that, Cole, because I know you read. We'll, it. Uh, I think in Crackers and Clangers, we'll be getting into that. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> I love it yeah. when they do this sort of time. They don't do it very often in Doctor Who, like not as often as you think for a time travel show. But mm. I like it when they go back on themselves or when they when a, when the plot is directly related yeah, to, to time travel. Yeah. Really so at, at this point, 1972, how often yeah. have we done this? Because bearing in mind, the show's I, not 10 years old yet. Yeah, look, I think it's probably the first time explicitly where an yeah. entire plot revolves around the ideas of temporal paradoxes. Yeah, yeah. I think so, one of the first times. And what is it that the uh, the Doctor, uh, he, he names it the Blinovich li oh, yes. limitation <laughs> effect. Yeah, Which plot. is, again, yeah. let's cr drop the crap science alert because yeah. this is a made-up yeah. term that means absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> We don't want to film this uh, effect. Yeah, yeah. we don't can't bother and writing around so. this effect. But it, it, essentially, it's supposed to uh, refer to the idea that you, you can't meet your past self or your future self in the same time stream. It, it's referring to crossing time streams. It's something that they do in Doctor Who all the time. Yeah. yeah. And they continue to keep doing it. And we get it in the same episode that they explain you can't do it in. So yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It make a lot of sense. Yeah. But it is a great scene. Um, the line he gives to Joe afterwards about uh, time being a funny thing and what happens with is really mm. winking mm. down the camera at what the grand yeah. storyline yeah. is going to be for the, st yeah. the four episodes. I do love all that. Like all that, all that sort of like, uh, well, hang on a minute. What about you? Like, who are you? Well, I'm you. Or at least. Oh, I what are you be. doing here? Yeah. 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 Really well, this do it all like, uh, well I'm here but yeah. you're not there you're not quite there yeah. <laughs> yes well it's all a bit tricky <laughs> Pete's picked up a really important point which is the way that it foreshadows the temporal paradox which is at the mm. heart of the, the narrative yeah. structure yeah yeah absolutely right I mean it's in the first you know it's, is it the second scene after the Reginald Styles um, you know set yes. piece yes so yeah you're right it does yeah. very much foreshadow that there's something timey wimey that's going to happen in this one mm. yeah because yeah. the show hasn't really locked down it's can you go back in time and can you mm. change things from your own past they haven't really locked that down yet no. Yeah, and I mean the show sort of changes footing on it a few times, and then the new show mm. they have the fixed points, exactly. fixed points in time, which is another just like we're just going to make that a thing so that we can't we don't have to do these things. Yeah, it's a good uh, each way bet, really having the fixed points in time. You can still affect most things, but there mm. are major events that you know you can't touch, and mm. you know. But back back then, sorry, but back here, yeah, they're just sort of they're just starting to get to grips with things like that, and what should we do? Which way should we go? And well, they're making it up as they go. Yeah. Unlike mm. other shows, there isn't a bible or, or a sort of you know set text that writers need to refer to. Right, they're, li they're literally making it up as they go. They're and, not worrying mm. about canon. Or no, annoying exactly right. Like they're and not in worrying fact, about reruns where people are going to go. Hang on, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Little yeah. did they know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think we've referred to it as the cowboy years because yeah. that's exactly what it is. They just did whatever they felt like. And uh, hang the consequences. Yeah, we'll to deal the with point those where later. Twelve months later, pretty much, we mm. get to the season opener of series ten, and it's the three doctors, where three separate doctors, the yes, first three doctors, that's right. meet one another, thereby, mm. you know, <laughs> throwing this this idea of the Blinovich limitation effect onto the onto the fire. Mm. But, I love three doctors. We're not doing it, are we? It's a shame. Uh, probably we probably won't get yeah. to it, but it is fun. Yeah, I've got a I've got a family member in that one. 
Yeah, the three doctors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you do. Well, An uncle is Roy Pacelli plays the president of the Council of Timelines. I think. Oh my, oh my god! god. Oh, we're not going to so do this. So get, did he get to wear? Did he yeah, get to yeah, wear yeah, a high still, collar though? I can't or? remember. I haven't seen it for a long time. Oh wow, we, we should watch well, that. Yeah. My yeah. great uncle. Yeah, but it's um, another. That's another thing. that's like Terminator. It's sort of like one of the things that I like about this is that the time isn't set. The future's not set. You know, you mm. can change things by going back in the yeah. past. Yeah, but you can also avert them from being changed. Yeah. Or, you know. So we've got this sort of this instance where we're throughout the story we're cutting from the 20th century to 200 years in the 22nd century sure. back and forth maybe it's a good time to start talking about our supporting cast because we've got our time traveling rebel gorillas here who are uh, and steve do you want to give us a little bit of a background on on uh, on these guys i think they're mostly interchangeable apart from anna who's she's really yeah. yeah she's brilliant yeah and isn't isn't it great did we like her did we all like her oh, i did i, I, I did, did. And I, th- I thought yeah. it was wonderful that they actually cast mm. a female as perhaps like the yes the leader of course of the, absolutely the gorillas here yeah i think that worked well anna barry's um, anna barry yeah yeah is the actress and i think she did a good job um, and she seems to be the one who's in charge of them. And no one, it's never, like, they never they never make a point of it. Like, oh, this woman is in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, just it's taken as... No, no, taken it just as, is. Yeah. That's right. And right. she has her moments where she has to rein in her overzealous underlings. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know... <laughs> overzealous, yeah, bloodthirsty. <laughs> yeah, bloodthirsty, yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to say, I don't know what the acting motivation for these guys is, but I'm just going to say it's stock Doctor Who. Mm. If, you're a, if you're going to play a time-travelling rebel, then that's just how you've got to be. And that's yeah. pretty much it. There's no other character development. Everyone's it's just, uh, over-theatrical. And... Everyone's a little over-excited. <laughs> well, they're, yeah. dealing with, um, they're dealing with you know, giant cataclysmic events that well, change the Well, they always are the going to be. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But they've, they've been living in this like horrifying future. Dystopian future, this sort of um, this war-torn yeah. Earth. That's it's, one of the um, things I like about the, the Resistance like, at yeah. the start, because her underlings are so bloodthirsty. Mm. She's mm. pulling them back and trying to be a cool head of yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. But they're so bloodthirsty. They just, they just really want to kill people, yeah. and so you start off hating them. But I think, like the st- by the end of the story, you're turned around on them a little. You feel sorry for them because mm, they've yeah. lived through all this. They've been hardened by like you know years of horror, this living in this dystopia. And it, and yeah. is quite quite often the case with a you know with with a with an oppressed society. Often the ones that kick back are the ones that are painted as the criminal in the first place. Sure. Yeah. Like well, that's, that's we're going through this whole thing. Like how the controller um, refers to. The, I don't think he actually calls them terrorists, but. Mm. You know, one man's terrorist is another man's guerrilla freedom fighter. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, he just refers to them as criminals. All yeah, the time. well, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's wonderful as well that um, they're portrayed in that way because it's the means that's portrayed as villainous rather than the ends. Sure. Yes. And we, yeah. we come to very much sort of identify with their uh, their goals in this in this story. And is this a particular time that's IRA heavy in uh, English history? It's it just was, starting up, isn't yeah, it? Because it's sort yeah, of yeah. You know, an allegory for, hey, they might be different, they might be doing horrible things, but you've got to realise why they're doing them. They've got a, mm. they've got yeah. a goal. Yeah. So we've mentioned Anna Barry as the uh, actress who plays Anat. Uh, a, couple of our, a couple of our other rebels. Uh, we've got a Jimmy Winston as Shura, so he's the he's the, the one who the brings end. it all, all 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 to a head at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, his only other acting credit is in the stage musical Hair. Which <laughs> 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 uh, So yeah, Jimmy Winston as Shura. I liked um, him at the end when he's so desperate with the bomb and he's got the wounded. He's wounded, and mm. then the doctor bursts in and he's ah, oh, don't you can't stop me, don't stop me. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I really liked it. It's his yeah. last chance to avert his uh, terrible future, he's isn't it? So he knows it. Desperate. I, yeah. He didn't get to do much uh, after this, but uh, that's okay because his bread and butter wasn't actually acting because he was the keyboard player in the band Small Faces. Oh, oh what? Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Jeez, good. That's a good Colin, one. Good deep cut, Colin. That's, yeah, that's got to be one of the best yeah, ones. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And you know what? For a keyboard player in a in a traveling in a touring rock band, he didn't do too badly. I thought he actually got a pretty good speaking role at the end yeah. there in episode four. Like I thought he was pretty he had good. A major role, really. Yeah, yeah, he did. Well, yeah, one of the biggest roles. Colin, really. God help you if this is a Crispin Glover moment. No, it's not. I guarantee no, he would have thoroughly not. researched this to yeah. make sure. I guarantee you, yeah. it's not. <clears throat> Uh, and also Scott Fredericks as Boaz. So he yes. was also Max Steele. Style, yeah. Style, sorry. Yeah, in one of my favourites, oh, yeah. Image yeah. of the Fendal, which yeah. is uh, a season 15 Tom Baker uh, mm. and sort of a, a really horrific story uh, that I just yeah, love to watch. You do that. love Image of the Fendal, don't I you? I do. Yeah. It's, it's one of those sort of not so great bakers that I just sort of gravitate to when I'm feeling mm. a bit poorly or just mm. want a, a bit of comfort viewing. Now, Dan's jumping up oh. on the edge of his seat there. <laughs> because there's one other freedom fighter that oh. he'd like to talk about. Baby. <laughs> Two words, gentlemen. Hubba, hubba. <laughs> oh my the dreamy, the dreamy 70s dreamboat. Uh. Valentine, Valentine Palmer, who plays Monia, the resistance leader. Oh my God. I had to look this guy up. and Because you know in Doctor Who in the 60s and 70s, if you were on Doctor Who, it usually meant you were on a bunch of other stuff. Oh, absolutely. Stock shows yeah. like Zed Cars and Dick sure. Dock Green. Crossroads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, this guy was, he was, in the Sweeney, yeah. the Saint, and the Professionals, all cop crime shows. But you can def, I guarantee that he was he would be wearing a turtleneck and leather jacket combo. I could see it with John Thor, uh, styrofoam cups of coffee, <laughs> yeah. lots of cigarettes. Yeah, uh, you're nicked. And because yeah. his, his beautiful, like mellifluous voice, he was mm. uh, he was a, vo- a voice artist and also later a voice coach. But one of the and he went to Rada, possibly with uh, maybe with Dog Rider and Petri. Who knows? <laughs> wow. Oh no, I'd say that would have been a different. Uh, I don't know. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. But um, he oh, he also wrote a book on the sinking of the Titanic because his great uncle <laughs> was the, one of the only senior officers to survive. And in this book, apparently, he's got a conspiracy theory about what really sank the Titanic. Oh. So Valentine Palmer, mysterious and handsome. <laughs> Love him. He's great. I loved it. Wow, and a, a, and a, a conspiracist. In, and, and an yeah. opera singer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And an what? opera singer. This is the full package, this guy, guys. What a dreamboat. Yeah. Hubba, hubba, indeed. Yeah. And yeah. that glam scarf that he's got. Yes, like, I oh, love that scarf. I just wish it was camo. I mean, it was, it was, it was khaki green, but camo would have been so much. I love so, how they put him up in like, military fatigues, and he's like, this is not, this isn't me. This isn't Val Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to add a little flourish of my own, guys. Uh, yeah, his voice is so like that... Um, you know, like when you were a kid and you read the books with it on, and you had to tape the, um, you turn the page like when yeah, this, yeah, yeah. when you hear this sound, yeah. ding, yeah, yeah. turn the page yeah. now, baby. Yes. Yeah. So, so Five go to Finiston Farm, yeah. read by Val Palmer. Who's Wonderful. Next? Who's uh, next? Okay, well, okay, they're, they're all of the um, freedom fighters we got down, but we so. haven't spoken oh. about Aubrey Woods as the controller. The controller. Oh, so, yeah. And of course, uh, our rebels from the 22nd century, another major figurehead operating in the 22nd century the controller yeah. played by one aubrey woods now what have we seen aubrey woods in before yeah. anyone know <laughs> I, I know i know no well look, i mean he he's been in actually countless films and tv series in uh, in britain but his only other most notable work was willy wonka and the chocolate factory oh, he the played the candy, candy man. man that's right yeah. so oh, he was the i think it was a sammy davis jr big Big top ten hit yeah, yeah. Uh, with that song, but he actually sung it in the film Gene Wilder's version of Willy Wonka mm. and the Chocolate Factory. Sure, so that was uh, yeah. <laughs> but his performance as the controller. I, I just loved it. I mean, he's yeah. very, he looks like David Cameron, which is super weird. <laughs> I, I feel like he looked like he should be in a knitwear catalogue from the 70s. Like, <laughs> with the Nehru, the Nehru suit as well. Oh, and the black um, gloves. Love yeah, it. I, love a, yeah. I love a villain with black leather gloves. Yeah. Um, I gotta, now, I thought he was fantastic as well, but I didn't 
think that he really came into the role until around episode three. When so the second half well, of the of the story, yeah. When you get to see his other side, when he starts to question his own... Yeah. We well, don't get any real character development in late in the third episode and into the fourth episode yeah, where he starts yeah. to talk to the Doctor. And, tho- and those mm. particularly centred around those scenes with John Pertwee, uh, mm. you know, where, where they're debating this uh, dystopian society that they're now a part Whether of. Whether or not you should be a collaborator with the enemy. It's a very World War Two kind yeah. of... Um, very much so. He yeah. even calls him a Quisling, oh, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Quisling. That's which right. They say it a few times, which yeah. I thought was a bit... That's a bit... I, don't, I wasn't expecting a kid like children to know who a Quisling... Yeah, but you well, know they probably well, As a nerdy it. kid, I would have gone away and looked that up. Sure. <laughs> much like any other new word yeah. that Doctor Who presented me. Yeah, with. totally. But yeah, yeah. he... He's really torn. I love the yeah. They do it a few times in Doctor Who when it's when it's a collaboration. We, sh- we should talk about it a little bit later because it is sure. a pretty pivotal yeah. pivotal scene. Um, He's very scary. You know that does that bit where he um, threatens the the um, factory or the the manager guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The guy that's in charge oh, of that sector quotas, or whatever. Yeah. ten percent. Ten percent. You know what'll happen to you. But once yeah. again, it's the ranks again because you know this, his whole thing is he's got this illusion that he's sort of somehow like some sort of government official, but he's not really. He's a slave like everyone else. Yeah. So you've got the Daleks telling him you will raise productivity by 10%. And he's like, well, it can't be done. But what does he do? It's like a school bully. He just goes down. down the rank. He just goes down the rank and like and bullies the next guy under him. It's another another, another wartime collaborator type thing. They, a lot of them would have done it, done it to get power, but it's not yeah. real power. You know? No. You're really under the thumb, it's you're like really a slave. False privilege, basically. Yes, yeah. yes. And then you're hated by, yeah. you're, you know, you're loathed by the people under you as a, as a traitor. Yeah. I think his redemption arc, though, is really quite a beautiful part of this story. I mean, obviously, he's very much presented like that as the oppressor to start with before, mm. you know, as you say, Cole, you know, he has a conversation with, with Pertwee's doctor mm. and Pertwee's moralizing sort of gets through to him to the point where he does start to question the validity of his own mm. position and, and, and what he can do to affect change against the Daleks. I mean, yeah. Aubrey Woods as, as an actor, I think is eminently likable. And so he's perfectly mm. cast as someone with whom you ultimately have, you know, a great deal mm. of sympathy, sympathy. for I, yeah. because of the way in which he sort of lays down his life. There's that dawning moment for um, for Aubrey Woods' controller when he uh, he finally it finally sinks in exactly what he really is, like what place he has in this as a pawn. Uh, when you know the rebels storm Dalek control and go to kill him, and the Doctor just says, oh, yeah. no, "Like, don't worry mm. about, it. like, don't bother." Like it doesn't matter who he is, the Daleks would have, would have always found, found someone yeah. to do it Love for them, really and so they just don't shoot him. He's not even worth killing. They really and want to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until that point, he's and then, ultimately completely replaceable. And yeah, yeah. And then and the camera just sort of ends on his face. It's it's a great scene. Yeah, I think it is because it, it does two things. One, it sort of highlights to him, I suppose. Uh, I don't know the, the truth of his position. The truth of yeah, his position, yeah. but also you know that there's always a better way. You know, Pertwee shows him mercy, which he certainly wasn't expecting, mm. and I think that sort of emboldens emboldens him to act against the Daleks in his next sort of final moments. Yeah, yeah. It's a great character, great storyline for his character. He starts out as an Uncle Tom and, yeah. and comes over to the to the correct way of things. Exactly. Can we just touch on the makeup? <laughs> the, the Absolutely, silvery that was weird, like a greasy sort of greasy glam look. Oh man, like I, I don't know bizarre. what was going on there, shiny, guys. Isn't he? I didn't know. I thought he was just they were just yeah. He's very shiny. I noticed yeah. that because the lighting's very hard, but in, in, in a greasy way, not in, <laughs> not yeah. in like a sparkly. No, way. they all they all look sick. They yeah. all look sort of dead. It's yeah. like I've, at one point I was thinking, are they meant to be zombies? Like are they like I don't know. Yeah. What I guess they, they live are. in a like, future landscape of factories that cover the planet. I suppose. Yeah, covers you. In a silvery, greasy makeup. Okay. Yeah. Not much in the way of nutrition, don't see the sun much. Yeah. Uh, he's also got silver nail polish as well. Oh, hey, man, it's yeah. 1972. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. yeah. Of glam and body. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Nehru suit, the hair, <laughs> yeah. um, the knitwear yeah. catalogue hair. Val's, yeah. Val's, uh, Val's scarf. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it also seemed to be almost a rank thing because mm. the the next person under him, the the woman on the control board that was sort yeah. of popping oh, and locking to, yeah. to yeah. View, view time and stuff, she had the same makeup but not quite as severely mm-hmm. as he did mm-hmm. and it seemed to yeah. wear off the lower down the ranks. I don't know if that's, that's a budget true. thing or, mm. or what happened. Yeah, but... a lot of like the patrol guards and stuff, they didn't have it on. Yeah, and yeah. like the, um, the area controller that he's like accusing being... Uh, in with the rebels, he hardly had any makeup at all on him. Sure. He looked yeah, quite you're normal. Right. You know? That's true. Maybe it's a rank thing. That, that is, is it's very unusual. Whatever it is, didn't translate to the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of um, the the woman, the technical the tech controller, oh, was yeah. she? Um, I was wondering because she was, she had moves, she but I, she seemed quite robotic <laughs> and and like you know that she maybe can I can I just say does the does the novelization shed any light because I don't I don't want to assume that it's terrible acting. All <laughs> I'm gonna all I'm gonna say about this is you know you're right the first time it was terrible acting. Oh. There is uh, there is nothing, in, nothing in the novelization to suggest that she would be acting acting robotically apart a from Dalek the fact slave that slave of some kind. You know? Well, you know, yeah, look, it, she is a Dalek slave, but um, she's probably very careful about how she acts when she's operating. The machinery, but essentially, uh, I feel like her motivation was pretty much exactly what they gave the guys that did the voices for the Daleks. Uh, it's just exactly the same. Like it was well, that that's same. That's why I think maybe this one is more to yeah, it. Robotic, but no cadence to it. Yeah. It was just sort of. She doesn't look him in the eyes, kind of a lot. She's sort of just right. staring into space while she talks slowly and robotically, which is um, went more. In the novelization, like there's some stuff in there about the controller getting sort of frustrated with her because they keep losing the signal yeah. of the freedom fighters or whatever, and it, all it really does is comment on the fact that she she. She's impassive. She doesn't really mm. show any yep. outward signs yep. of being nervous about the fact that she's lost the signal. It's just matter of fact, we lost the signal. Sorry. Yeah. I know. thought the acting of hers might have been a, a product of the time with the you know the whole class thing. She kind of came across as like a 1960s uh, phone operator in England. Sure. You know? sure right. Very impassionate. You know, mm. thank you, sir. I'll, mm. you know, patching uh, you through. Patching yeah. you through. You know, it was all very, you know, <laughs> prim and proper. Except and, uh, there was you know, no she, sort of like turning to her, to her colleague and go, and then I said to Doris, I said, well, <laughs> that's it. I felt like she'd go home and talk like Miss Brahms from I think that's just her, you know, like I'm being professional. I'm at mm. work. I've got my right. uh, phone operator operator voice on I'm um, mm, good mm. to go yeah. I thought I'm... and anyway and anyway I can't believe you've seen that Terry Buckle from down the road <laughs> I really thought it was some kind of strange sort of robot slave choice but you, so you think it's another example of BBC casual classism <laughs> I think so I, that was that was what I took away you well, just made yeah. that up on the spot didn't ah, you? well it's we've been yeah, yeah. to it before <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely especially yeah. whenever Pertwee's there At, it's yeah, definitely no, that's yeah, true yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, he's, uh, do, he does a lot of um, tough tough cut type things in yeah. this, like he talks yeah. about wine a lot should we talk about that and he loves to he loves to cut another snob down to size doesn't he oh, loves yeah. to pull rank over them and I'm yeah just kind of snob yeah. You. like with uh, brown nose or brown rose from uh, terror of the autumn <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that scene as well yeah but yeah um yeah pertwee the, the snobbery of pertwee i personally am a huge fan i find it entertaining it's deeply yeah yeah entertaining. yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. Mm. Well, he keeps talking about wine and goes on and on about it like mm. i think i don't know is, is that a sign of um sophistication for the time well, <laughs> i i i almost found it a little bit tratton-esque the way he sort of helps himself to Sir Reginald's larder. He sort of just goes in, grabs himself a nice bottle of something expensive, gets all the stinky runny cheeses out. You must really, really must try this gorgonzola. Yeah, (laughs) it's absolutely delicious. Um, Look, I think you're never going to dissociate that sort of the trappings of classism Mm. and elitism from Pertwee's depiction of the Doctor. And, you know, we spoke about that in Terror of the Autons episode, but I think there's something that happens at the start of this season that we haven't seen before. Yeah. And that's the way in which Pertwee starts to sympathise more with those who are oppressed or of lower class. Sure. And we see throughout that, you know, 
even upon that first moment of the meeting with the terrorists, the the, the guerrillas, mm. he's asking them why. He's trying to, yeah. to seek out what their reasons are rather than, you know, sort of dismissing it, them. He doesn't immediately hand. condemn them. No, he doesn't. Mm. And in fact, when he finds out, you know, what it is that they're trying to do, which is to avert this future and Reginald Styles as, as supposedly being the cause of this, mm. it's at that point that he starts to adopt their aims as his own as well, or at least yeah. try to figure out how we can avoid that future, even if it's not done in the same way as the guerrillas want to do, which is, you know, basically blow everything up or kill Styles in, in doing it. And I think mm. it's it's that sort of shift in Pertwee's character. He becomes much more, kind of like Peter Capaldi in the last season and a half of, of his reign, mm. a, a more, more fuzzy, and I mean that in terms of the hair as well as the character, <laughs> <laughs> a warmer, sort of more genial kind of um, paternal figure. Uh, mm. And I think for me, it starts at the beginning of season nine with Day of the Daleks and the way in which he starts to sympathise with people who probably in the first two seasons he wouldn't have had too much time for and wouldn't have really sort of deigned with his... You say paternal. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, in another way, that's always been there too because he's very fatherly towards Joe Grant and has yeah, been yeah. Sen- since yeah. the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've always loved. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, he was also the, the guy who called her a ham-fisted bun vendor. He did. <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of severity, that brusqueness mm. about him falls away by yeah. now. In the same way that I suppose we, it does with, with Capaldi sure. at the end of season three. Uh, series eight mm. maybe the the um, capaldi doctor and the Pertwee doctor sort of mirror one another in the way that their characters develop oh there the are many many um, oh yeah <laughs> dots to join there i think as mm. the years have gone on uh, with capaldi yeah even down to uh, i don't know like that stuff in the tunnels when that when the Dal- uh, the doctor sort of runs into the tunnels after mm-hmm. the rebels and he's and the, it's at the end of uh, episode two and you see that you know he's got the cloak on and the shadow cast from him up against the wall yeah so capaldi right. as well like this is yeah, stuff that they is, were bringing into season 10 it's a great silhouette yeah so yeah Okay, so, I mean, guys, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the Daleks right about now. Um, It's a Dalek story, but it's the first one since Evil of the Daleks. So it's actually the first Dalek story in colour. So it's actually a pretty big deal. The BBC want to bring them back, of course. Um, They're a huge fan favourite, but they really don't give them much to play with. I think they really could have done the whole story without them even being there. Well, it was originally. That's uh, exactly right, yeah. yeah. So it was a script that was written by Louis Marx that had nothing to do with dialects whatsoever. It was Mm. called The Ghost Hunters initially. Yeah. And I think the idea was that it was just humans in the future who who were looking to Mm. gain power. So it had nothing to do with them and they kind of feel a little bit tacked on. Yeah. Well, Uh, they are. Yeah, to a degree, but I'm Mm. not sure that it would have worked as well with a lesser villain who has perverted the course of, of future history of Earth if it wasn't the Daleks. It mm. needed to be someone who was very much, or a race s- that was very much against the Doctor and everything he believes in. And I think that's the Daleks. Look, I mean, it still would have been the first time paradox story of its of its, of its its sure. type and of its time. Yeah, It would have still been before its time in that respect. But yeah, I mean, having the Daleks in there, they wanted a story to slot the Daleks into. They ultimately chose this script. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, they are kind of tacked on. Mm. Yes. It's fine. Uh, like, I don't mind them being there. Mm. It's, it's fine. I, but uh, I think I might have preferred it if they weren't there. Like, mm. um, the story stands up on its own. I think it's a great story. I'm, I'm going to argue for the sheer fact that Doctor Who has to have a strong hero as well as a strong villain. You mm. needed to have the Daleks there. Mm. Um, you think about the Terminator films. You know, it's Skynet, Skynet. and the cyborgs. You know, mm. the Terminators. They're obviously the antithesis of humanity. And they're presented as, you know, the great oppressors of the future. That's the Daleks in Doctor Who. And I think that's why they work in this story. Yeah. They do. I mean, enslaving a race is always a very Dalek-y thing to do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly without, right. Without them, I mean, without the Daleks, you've just got the controllers. Mm. Well, the people well, what, who, the society that the controller is yeah. a part of. But you know, but you know, do you want to know what's really let the Daleks down here? 
there's a couple of things actually it's the way they've been executed but it's also the budget that the story's been given in the first place yeah so they've gone and they've found some little warehouse some locked up cupboard somewhere where they've still got three and a half daleks <laughs> left over from the 60s yeah left over yeah. so you've got three full daleks and one skirting of like the bottom skirting of another one all dinged up beaten up they've got to be repainted countless times they've got to repaint those mm. again and that's all they've got yeah, for yeah. the for, for the re, for, you know for the first Dalek story in seven years or whatever it is, I think it's about five or six years. Yeah. So do you think the first why, Dalek story in about six years? Yeah. Do you think that's why they added the Ogrons at all, just to just to bulk up the, the Ogrons force in the in the fight at the end? The Ogrons were always there from the original yeah. script, but then they weren't really fleshed out. They were just referred to as sort of guard dog S- monsters. Soldier race. Mm. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Sort of like unquote, like, sure. Yeah, sort of easily led brutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you got the budget that lets it down. Um, they, they really don't, you know, when you're trying to make the Daleks frightening on a battlefield, but you've only got three of them, <laughs> yeah. it kind of, it's a bit lackluster. The other thing is the execution. I mean, lots of people have talked about this in the past and it's a pretty well-known thing, but we should talk about it. The voices. Yeah. They got the voices wrong. <laughs> they do. Now, yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's been so long that sure. the BBC have forgotten how to do Daleks sounds, and that's yeah. why. It sounds, it really sounded, because it's one of those things I've talked about before, how I really hate Doctor Who monsters who take a long time to say anything. <laughs> First <laughs> Dalek takes forever. Forever. Yeah. How do they get yeah. anything done in the, in the did yeah. But I, th- I really feel like the, the voices sound like a bad child's impression of what a Dalek sounds like. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. speaking into a, a fan or something. Now, the two actors that were unfortunate enough to uh, get the role were Oliver Gilbert and Peter Mezzaline. So these mm-hmm. guys have copped a fair bit of flack yeah. in the past over their uh, representation of the Daleks. Yeah, but it's about the direction, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Paul yeah. Bernard right. should have been... Uh, if not looking at old episodes, if he was able to find yeah, do we any. have Do we have much in the way of... Would they have had much in the way to go on? I don't know. All I can mm. think of is that the Daleks were a, a phenomenon in 1964 in the same way that the Beatles were, sure. right? I, Everyone surely can remember what the Daleks yeah. look like and sound like. Mm. To I, me, it's just a bit flat. I reckon on the, on the studio floor, someone we would have been like, so what do they sound like? And it yeah. would have just been like, do this, this is what a yeah. Dalek yeah. sounds yeah. like. Um, yeah, and, the, and it's the whole delivery is lacking uh, any form of sort of confidence. There's nothing behind it there's no none of that dalek cadence there's no that, menace there's no, menace, there's no urgency right. to the to, to those lines so you've got famous dalek lines like enemies of the daleks will be exterminated things like that should send a chill <laughs> in this story unfortunately they so. don't yeah <laughs> i mean the the daleks are always sort of almost shrieking underneath mm. the special mm. effects on their voice well, they're meant to be mad whereas in this one they're just sort of casually giving their lines mm. and <laughs> i do like the casualness at the start of the yeah. first couple of daleks they're just like <laughs> yep Get this done. Yeah. Exterminate the bad guys. Yeah. But they, yeah, they sound almost nervous at times, don't they? Yeah. Afraid. Yeah. It's yeah. Very funny. I, I did read somewhere that um, the guys, the, the, those two guys we just mentioned that did the voices, they um, they were they were told not to overdo it because it would oh. all get done in post with the effects. Oh, uh, yeah, but yeah. But that okay. was wrong. Yeah. That yeah. was wrong. They were talking about they thought they had one particular modulator that they were going to use or something like so that. But so, also, so they were told to deliberately downplay it and would get fixed up in post. Yeah. So you're saying that what they, the takes they gave they didn't think were going to be used. Yeah, if what I read was correct, wow. then yeah, yeah, because they do. I was going to say they sound untreated. They sound like mm. they haven't been put through the ring modulator, which probably would have been thrown away by yeah. them because it's then been it... so long since they've done the Daleks. Mm. Yeah, and it's just two actors reading the lines in a robotic staccato voice. Mm. And so, do you think that these are some of the reasons why many years down the line they decided to do a Redux version of this story? Yeah, well, I mean, edition. there's a special edition. Sorry, there's a few things that they fleshed out for the special edition. So you've got the DVD that came out. One thing that they did was they got Nicholas Briggs, the, the now. <laughs> Now, Dalek voice guy, Daleks, voice yeah. of the Daleks, to come in and redo all the voices for Day of the Daleks. And they, you know, they did other things like they fleshed out some of the special effects. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. So, um, I mean, on on the DVD, there is like a making of little featurette. I remember um, watching this with you guys yeah. 
first time. Yeah. You yeah. loved that. Yeah, yeah. do you? It's yeah. great. That's it was great. so great. Um, so you got Nicholas Briggs getting in there and redoing the voices, and it was he's got a certain delivery to it. I guess it's done differently, but they even did try and get a ring modulator from yeah. as far back as they could. It was from oh, the early eighties, okay. I think, yep. and it was right. sort of like. They basically said it's not the same one, but it's pretty similar to what yep. they would have been using. Yep. So they sort of they roll with that, and uh, and I think it's proof in the pudding. The execution was handled badly to begin with because it makes the world of difference yeah, in the redone yeah. version. They're a bit more. It's more shocking and a bit more scary. And I think mm. the redone version or the special edition also gets right that final sequence on the lawn of Audley House. Yes. Which in the original, mm. the Paul Bernard directed. Once again, three yeah. Daleks and five Ogrons. I mean, it's yeah. because it's shot in, in long shot and, and medium mm. shot. And you can just see, well, it's just three unimpressive Daleks trundling over a lawn, whereas the redone mm. version's got mm. close up and there's, mm. there's quick cuts. Mm. More Daleks. Mm. More da- well, it appears like there's more Daleks, doesn't yeah. it? But I'm, I'm not, not sure that there was. No, that there we, actually yeah, was. Remember when we watched yeah. it, I remember yeah. we were so taken aback by the fact that the guy who went back and mm. did it yeah. Uh, he, Steve Broster. He got a camera, one of the, one of the yeah, same he cameras. Araflex, right? Araflex 16mm camera. How yeah. brilliant that he got the same yeah. equipment. And so he good. was, and on the DVD, he pretty much says, this is probably one of the cameras that the BBC used to shoot Doctor Who. <laughs> and I don't know that for certain, but I'm pretty certain that it would have been. So they went back... <laughs> to Alderley, they went back to Alderley House? They went back to yeah. the house, the original location for Day of the Daleks. Yeah. They, uh, they got the original film stock. They got an original <laughs> film camera. They got a Dalek builder in who's provided Daleks and Cybermen for Doctor Who to bring in some Daleks. Mm. And guys dressed up as ogrons and yeah, some units wonderful and some so unit effort, soldiers but it's yeah. scene. That's yeah. so great. I spent like, a day out there at the old location <laughs> uh, just shooting some stuff to f- edit into the thing and then they graded all the film to make it look the same yeah, yeah. yeah. and it is I've got to say, it's pretty seamless. Yeah, I, it really benefits, I think. There's a few scenes in the Redux version that you sort of think, yeah, take it or leave it. But yeah. I, I love that because that mm. matches my memory of the novelization yeah. and reading that when I was Definitely, a kid. Yeah. I would agree, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I read the novelization again, first time in many years. And I've got to say that when you see it on paper, Terence Dix has a particular formula that he likes to use. Mm-hmm. This is a fantastic story in book form. When you, you know you're not when you're unfettered from budgetary restraints and technological sort of advances that haven't happened in the seventies, you've got something on on the page which is pretty remarkable. It's a yeah. pretty just a great solid piece of science fiction. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. It is actually a classic science fiction trope. We see it as we said in Terminator. It was acknowledged as an unconscious source for an X Men Days of Future Past, mm. but it right. also comes from Ray Bradbury, the um the short story A Sound of Thunder, um, mm. which is one of those great seminal sci-fi stories from the golden age of sci-fi and not to be confused with the Duran Duran <laughs> yeah. kind of, it gets used in science fiction quite often yeah, even yeah. to the point where I don't know I can't believe I'm about to talk about this but the, um, the Terminator TV show of the late 2000s <laughs> which I liked I know probably everyone thinks it's crap but they do have a there's a whole plot oh, line I think it's one, crap <laughs> you, you heard did you say <laughs> I, I, I think it's crap you seen I've, it? I've seen it yeah, <laughs> yeah. there is a not there much is, of it there is a story there's a storyline where um, <laughs> yeah I think so there's a storyline where rebels from the future resistance fighters from the future come back in time to assassinate someone mm. or a bunch of people and they end up causing the problems that yeah. they came back to mm, exactly. um, avert which is the same as Day the, of the, the same as a- I didn't watch the um, this time for this this week I didn't watch the the Redux I only had the original on hand but um, did you, do you like you prefer the Redux Pete? Uh, I did like it I thought the, just for the Dalek voices alone mm, yeah. that yeah. was worth it yeah. if yeah. that was the only thing they'd done that would have that, been enough it would have yeah. been enough and then yeah the final scene they shot was fantastic mm. Mm. some of the other effects yeah you could argue whether they should or shouldn't have been used but mm. overall I thought it was an improvement on mm. the original mm. So Dan, I want to go back to a point that you raised earlier, which was your poo-pooing of Joe's 
agency, I guess, and her effect on this on this story. I think she shows mm. a lot more agency than she did probably even in Terror of the Autons that we saw earlier. We see that she makes her own choices and decisions. Yeah, they're, they're ill-informed. They, sure. She doesn't have the whole picture. But from what she's been given, she, she actually sort of makes kinds of choices that you and I would probably make in the same situation. Mm -hmm. The rebels want to kill the Doctor, so obviously she's against them and sides at the same time with the controller when she gets teleported to the 22nd century wherever she is. So I think that sort of shows that she has an active role in, in the narrative, but also... The moment that she's presented with the facts that actually the controller and everything that he stands for as a regime is corrupt, she changes her mind and mm. you know is more than willing to admit her mistake and sides with the Doctor and the, and the Rebels. So I think Joe has mm. a real active part in this. She, she, doesn't do, she doesn't do anything. She doesn't change anything. She doesn't affect well, anything. Um, that's all. That's what most of my mm, thing. Like she just, the, she's along uh, for the ride kind of thing. She's the reason it all plays out the way it does. If it wasn't for her really? accidentally um, trans, uh, transporting herself 200 years into the that's future, the, yeah. do- the Doctor wouldn't have needed to go go forward to get her. But that's not agency. She was transported no, against her will. She didn't do it. Like, well, she's she was kind taken. Of, she's, she's the audience in the storyline. She's You're right. Yeah. She's the one who asks the, the questions well, is, yeah. and, um, and you know, the doctor explains it to her and then the audience goes, oh, that's what yeah, that was all I about. Just, but like I was saying earlier with uh, possible IRA stuff yeah. that was going on mm. at the time, she sort of plays the part of that average person who just thinks of them all as terrorists or mm. criminals or whatever. Mm. And, and yeah. then she's it's explained to mm. her and to the audience mm. how you can uh, look at things from both sides. But you know what? Yeah. She's And she doesn't unquestioningly accept everything. There is one or two moments where she does sort of like speak up and say, well, well is that why there's a guard on the door? Like, why am I in this room again? Yeah. Why is there a guard on the door if I, if you're here to help me? Mm. You know, there are moments where she sort of, yeah. Yeah. she questions what's going on around her. She's yeah. not just accepting. Yeah, I'm not criticizing the character. I'm just, yeah, she doesn't have a, I don't think she has a lot of actual agency where she doesn't control anything or change anything. But you're right, she does play the part of the classic Doctor Who character who's yeah. there to help the plot along. Yeah. Exactly. Which is great. You know, yeah. I guess that's I like true. Yeah. But I just, yeah. she's just so watchable and so charismatic and likable. Yeah. Like, yeah. So great. Yeah, she is. I love, I love how oh. whenever Dan says anything and then someone argues, Argues the point. He goes, "Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you do it all the time." I well, no, I said he's right no, about Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but that's her a... role in the in yeah, the series, really. in, in this episode specifically. Mm. Is, well, sometimes she's, she's kind of she's um, got more to do. Sometimes, like she single handedly Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Like mm. she's not given a lot of her own plot devices, but as far as telling the story, she's she's yeah, pivotal. That's true. Yeah. You know, and um, like uh, even when she you know grabs the bomb and tries to yeah. set off like it's a bit weird the doctor's saying no seriously I love that. put it back put down. it down put it down. Like, I, know. You know, I know you're trying to do the right thing but and they're terrified just looking at her knowing what's going to yeah, happen to you her yeah you know she kind of loses the plot a little bit there, I love but, that bit I think it's yeah. great and I just love how terrified the two resistance fighters are because they're like that belonged to the guy who's they've, tra- they've, tra- they've tracked this and they're going to they're going to zap it back to the yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, don't do yeah. anything like, they're yeah. actually I suppose they care about it for a yeah. moment there. They're yeah, like, yeah. They go well, they care, about, they, they care about the mission. The mission yeah. They care about the mission. I actually want to. I want to talk about the sets actually for Dalek Control. This is another instance where the uh, the budget of the show has let down the Daleks yeah, again. It's a bit cheap. The sets, unfortunately, I mean, apart from the fact that they're they're painted drab. Uh, they're dinged up. I don't know if you notice with the doors that come up that open up when the controller walks in. They've got all these dings in the chipboard <laughs> down the side. You can actually see it. Like someone's, I don't know what's happened. Someone's accidentally wheeled a trolley into it or something and taken a, a chunk out of it and it's not even been painted over. Um, there's even just like muck 
on the on the stainless steel. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a fourteen year old's bedroom. <laughs> just you know, a little bit of polish would have yeah. gone a long way like, on that. There's enough time, be, uh, yeah. another time. Yeah. All the money for polish. Yeah. yeah, I like the idea of like, could someone polish that? Oh, uh, we don't have any cloths. Can we buy some cloths? Uh, we haven't got any money. Uh, <laughs> leave, leave it. it. <laughs> yeah. And and you couldn't just use your sleeve because that was against BBC Union. Then you'd have to wash the sleeve with your own money at home. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking of those doors, actually, with all the dings in them, like, did anyone notice how like the controller's walking into the room as it rises, but then he has to walk a bit slower because he might hit his yeah. head on it as he's oh he's gonna almost stop and then he can walk into the room again <laughs> you just know there's two guys behind the set yeah. just slowly trying to bring it up and they're going for christ's sake gerald yeah. get what do you reckon they got ropes and they're just yeah, sort of yeah. like pulling like <laughs> yeah all right he's up gerald not too quick not too fast they got yelled at but then they had to just keep the scene keep going keep going keep going keep yeah. shooting yeah 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 i thought they they might have designed it with the idea of the dialects coming through because they're so much shorter. Right, right. But then... But they never used lose, it for that. Well, they didn't use it for that. Maybe it would have mm. lost a bit of gravitas, like mm. the controller having to come out and report to his masters yeah. rather than them trundling in. Yeah, well, the only time they leave dialect control is to go, is to go back in time to orderly house, pretty much. The so, Daleks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I actually had a... I, I gained a bit of an appreciation for some of the some of the direction, and it was and it's to do with the shots where um, everything's very tight. Um, he shoots from behind things. He uses things for, in the foreground. Like at one point, there's a, the skirting of a of a Dalek, but other times it's the mirror on a unit jeep, or and everything's down low during mm. the fight scenes and stuff. And it's all very close and it's t- tightly cut together. And I think that's because the budget again. It's all about in the shot. He's recognised it's what you don't see in the shot that counts, not what you do see in the shot that counts, because there wasn't a lot to shoot. Yeah, I think that's the case. It's half and half, really, because mm. there are but sh- as you said, like also, that, but then there's other shots where you yes. just think, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are yeah. you getting closer on this? Or you're shooting it from a lower as angle? As you were saying, the, the, the battle on the, on the front lawn yeah. of the... Of the in of widescreen. The... Why? Yeah, that's so true. You're quite right. I'd like to ask Pete something. Um, what did you think of the Ogrons? I think they suffer in the story for having the Daleks sort of pushed in on top of them sure. in uh, in the script. Mm. But, um, you know, it would have been good to see a bit more of them. I know they do appear in another later Doctor Who episode, mm-hmm. again with the Daleks, but this time with the Master involved. Mm. Oh. And, uh, and that was probably that, one thing I yeah. would have loved to have seen in uh, Day of the Daleks yes. was like a little tip of the hat to the master in some way but i know they'd <laughs> yeah. been they'd been using him ad nauseum up until this point that's so right they had yeah. wanted to stay away from from him mm. in in the storyline i i do think it's a shame it would have been a great instance for them to get delgado in have him the, the one who's orchestrating the daleks who are orchestrating <laughs> the humans that, that yeah. would have been awesome but yeah as you said pete the season previous the, who's, the master was in practically every story it was, was yeah. yeah i'd like to have known a bit like to have had the ogrons fleshed out a bit more and mm. learn about them because this is the first story they're in I just think because they're designed to be as you say Cole the guard dogs they're, they're, mm. they're the thugs you know mm. the Daleks can't get around on t- all terrain so they've got these guys to mm. do the legs the legwork for them I think speaking of Ogrons and I'm, I'm aware that we're going to do cliffhangers crackers or clangers later and this, yeah. this if it was a, a an end of part of a cliffhanger would definitely have been a clanger is the way in which the Ogrons <laughs> talk Obviously, we've got that scene with the controller uh, in the base, and the first Ogron is very deliberate and slow in the way that he sort of draws out the line. <laughs> yeah. And then the second Ogron, <laughs> whose line is cut out, by the way, in the in the Redux oh, version, <laughs> says, "Oh no, they it get is. rid of it. It's the no complications." And he sort of delivers <laughs> delivers that in a like, totally like different a way, like he's forgotten yeah. his motivation. No yeah. Well, for, for, no for me, it's like yeah. that he's heard his 
he's he's heard the other ogre on the actor the other um, actor playing the ogre on Deliver the Line is just sort of thinking really do I need to do it this way and yeah. no I'm not going to do it maybe he like he, maybe he almost missed his cue and he's like oh no comment <laughs> yeah. maybe he was, they, they didn't hit cut they didn't ask me to do it again so. maybe he was excited to be cast in Doctor Who but then galled to find out that he was simply a, uh, <laughs> you know an ape like slave and he was like I'm go- I'm not going to, to I'm not going to stoop to this <laughs> yeah. level of performance I'm going to deliver it straight it's so I'm best friends with Val Palmer for God's sake. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit more about the um, the idea of this uh, this temporal paradox that's going on in Day of the Daleks? Um, we've spoken a bit about how uh, Terminator happens, uh, you know, twelve years later after Day of the Daleks. But um, what things are in play there that you can see mirroring? Oh, there's lots of things. I mean, the, the big one is just the fact that well, you, you go back in time and change the past. The future's not set. Yes. And there's, I mean, in the original Terminator, Skynet sends its agents back in time to eliminate the leader of the resistance that's gonna that's fighting mm. against it. But in in doing that, they they um, sort of prompt the resistance to send back their own agent who mm. ends up fathering the leader of the resistance mm. that they were trying to destroy mm. in the first place. So they've ended up sealing their own, sealing its own doom, just like the, the resistance mm. fighters in this story. They end up, well, they, well, they, they managed to avoid yeah, it, but yeah. the doctor sees it and he sees it and he says, you guys are the ones who are, you, you, you've done, you've come here to, you've to avert it, yourselves. but you've ended yeah. up doing it yourself. Yeah, yeah. that's such that's a, great a great line, line from Pertwee, yeah. isn't Pertwee it? Nails yeah. it too. He yeah. really does nail it. And it's actually such a great scene. It, essentially, it is Basil Exposition or an info dump, if you like, in yeah. episode four. It could be yeah. argued that it comes a bit late in the story. However, it really is handled quite beautifully, I think. I just love the, uh, the whole concept of um, the going back in time and they've ended up causing the very disaster they also yes. back to yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is, it, is it meant to be a warning against um, trying to change things, change the past to change the future? I think it's just mm. an exploration of the temporal paradox yeah. sort of motif mm. in science fiction. Yeah. Uh, reading it as, a, as an eight-year-old, it was actually one of the first of three Tiger books I ever owned. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, and, and getting up to that point and mm. just that moment, and I distinctly remember the feeling, the hairs on the back of my neck standing up when that sort mm. of moment was, was... The realisation? The realisation yeah. is like, of course, it's you know the idea that they, they did it themselves. Mm. It was... Uh, yeah, mm. it's a yeah. beautiful moment. I love that moment. Yeah. Because mm. history gets things wrong. And it's uh, <laughs> yeah. and essentially all they're going by is what they know of history. And it's and it's been skewed. And it's going to be in tatters after being exactly. uh, yeah. you know, under 100 years of Dalek... Uh, rubble. Mm. Rubble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And factories. Like they, yeah, they allude to the planet-wide system mm. of factories that yeah. all humans yeah. are a slave to. Oh, mm. can, I, can I also... Which is very mean- Asimov. Yeah, yeah, I love it. They just sort of foundation, yeah. sort mm. of um, iRobot almost. Mm. Yeah, well, they they talk about that scene with the controller and Pertwee um, sitting. They've got that great scene where they're sitting down around the they've got the, the fruit bowl fruit. and the wine. Pertwee's yeah. lounging. Right. He's yeah. lounging. Yeah. Pertwee is lounging. You're quite right. <laughs> you always plastic t- wine beaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More wine, doctor. That yeah. was I was hilarious. Oh, I love wine that. beaker. I'm wrong. I am totally wrong, gentlemen. I have to apologize. Uh, Joe Grant wax some um, wax him with the oh, wax yeah, with the wine beaker. Of it does have. Uh, why did we all forget about I take that? It back. Yeah, yeah, Thank that's you. right. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the oh, doctor tries a bit of Venusian uh, aikido, yeah. aikido uh, on an ogron. It uh, misjudges work. its strength. I love it. Yeah, yeah, the ogron overpowers him, and then Joe comes she saves clocks the day. Him with the wine. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! I love that. <laughs> that bit. big I mean, I stupid it. porcelain phallic-looking wine jug thing. Apologies, sweet dogs, if you've been quietly raging against me for the last half an hour. Steve, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, In our Earthshock episode, we spoke a lot about when you have the Doctor pick up a gun, Mm. you've made a mistake, you need to go back, you need to rewrite your script. How did you feel about Day of the Daleks? It it never sits comfortably. I don't understand why the Doctor needs to be involved in that gunfight. It could be something that could be delegated to the unit squaddies. And of course, in the original, he shoots an ogre on first before they sort of change the order of things slightly. And in the Redux version, he's shooting back in self-defense. 
no, I don't like it. I don't mm. think he should be doing it. It's, it's perfectly obviously trying to be James Bond because yeah. mm. you know he saw this very much as a vehicle for his own ego at times, and that's that's what we get with this scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's already been very James Bondy. He's yeah. been James Bondy enough in this in this show. Yeah. He really yeah. didn't need to be. No. Uh, when he aimed the gun, I was like, oh, he's not gonna. And he, he did. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it's a little yeah. bit. Um, it's undoctory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there are some. There's some stuff with the rebel fighters actually, where they're fighting the Daleks and stuff, and there were elements of Sayward. I felt like there was almost. A little bit of that nastiness that came in with the violence in Earthshock was almost Callous. there. You got a bleeding yeah. rebel on the ground, dead. Oh, yeah. Callous um, unit deaths again, yeah. which, which, yeah. which weren't necessary mm. because, and I'm going to get mad for a second, at the end, they decided to let the Daleks and the Ogrons into the house. So why did they... Well, that means all of those unit deaths, and I counted uh, at least four, possibly eight, because there were lots of bodies strewn yeah. around. Eight unit deaths. Well, yeah. no, if oh. the Ogrons had killed them, there wouldn't even be a body, so nothing to send home to oh, Mum. Oh, good like point. It's just that they were disintegrated. So maybe there were more than eight, um, which means, oh my God, uh, they, all those unit deaths were for nothing, in and vain. they just ended up letting mm. him in the house. So how does, the, brig- how does yeah. the brigadier tell the wives and mothers of these soldiers <laughs> when there's not even a body well, to Well, he's going to uh, have to lie and say that they gave their lives in, in, you know, yeah. in defense of a great cause, yeah. and for a very, very good reason. They were killed for a very good good reason not just for no yeah. reason but yeah. i can't tell you about it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah and the, the official and, secret tech yeah. um, um but the, the three wheeler the, the oh, well, oh, baby. i mean you spoke about john pertwee using the show as a you know <laughs> a, a vehicle for his own ego <laughs> yeah this was his scene he yeah. demanded that this oh, tricycle did he really? be yeah. in the scene yeah yeah so i like to call it a moon trike i don't yeah. know what else oh. to call this thing did like, he really demand it i didn't know yeah he did well he'd seen it apparently according to the doco Mm. He'd just seen them. They'd just been invented in China for cruising around That's rice right. paddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, you know, I want it. I want to drive one. And uh, so they got one for mm. him to cruise around on. And, they, and I love, it was meant to be like some futuristic, like moon buggy that mm. the uh, the Ogrons and that got around on. Yeah. But, um, you know, it just looked like an old farm bike. It did look yeah. Yeah. They, they gave yeah. it a funny sound. But oh, they, they did. Oh, but they yeah, couldn't yeah, spare the a bit sound. of tinfoil just to make it look. <laughs> just to make it spacey. Yeah, just yeah. to make it look more <laughs> yeah. Aged, you know, and again, and, you the know, direction is so flat. It's, it's yeah. just yeah. like yeah. oh, here it is. Well, go around in a big the, circle, and then the problem up, was yeah. because it was made for cruising around farm paddies. It only went about eight k's an hour. <laughs> yeah. So even when they were <laughs> filming right. it, the Ogrons were catching up to him at walking speed. So <laughs> yeah. they then, they had a big struggle, and, and they wrapped yeah. a girl. Like, like yeah. it's very Bond. They wrapped a girl around him, and her legs are flying all yeah. over the place. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I did no enjoy good. the scene though because it's, it's pertly doing his own stunts. Yeah, which he loved doing. He, he really yeah, did. you can yeah. see the joy on his face. Yeah. It's great. Perry <laughs> took a lot of pride in uh, doing a lot of that stuff himself. He loved doing it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of good that he did it in a way, even though that chase scene's pretty lackluster. He just kind of stops in some bushes after a bit it's yeah. a fun. and lets him yeah. catch up. You it's know. a spot of fun. But you know what, guys? One thing we haven't talked about, no havoc. Yeah. No yes. havoc. By this stage, they'd gone. Yeah. So if we, you know, if we'd had maybe some action by havoc, <laughs> it would have been Day amazing. Of the Explosions. Yeah. 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 Um, people being killed at point blank range in horrible ways. Yeah. Which yeah. is not necessarily the brigadier uh, shooting stance. There would have been lots of that. Yeah. The you know? shoot from the hip. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, probably a lot more horrible murders. Yeah. That would have been not great. But, but more, <laughs> but more stunts, more but like bodies more flying, action. more yeah, yeah definitely yeah. more stylized action. action. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean. We we still got some good stuff with Pertwee, you know. Yeah, like, we did. I really enjoy the Venetian Aikido. <laughs> yeah, it's really, I, like, mm, got a bit of a martial arts 
Like, you yeah. know, I've enjoyed it as a kid, love Jackie Chan mm. movies. Yeah. And mm. I love a chance to see a toffee British guy yeah. <laughs> pretending he knows Kung Fu. Yeah. I love it's it. so good. I love it's the so good. I love how he tries to do the surprise attack. He's like he turns to an ogre and says, Oh, how do you do? And then Hi and, like, yeah. and then he takes a swig of the wine. Like <laughs> That's what that was so that was so James Bond yeah. that bit. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And and there was also also a bit swashbuckly there. He's like you know, fighting an Ogron, which is twice his size, twice his strength, mm. what well, doesn't spill a drop doesn't of his spill water, it. Right? <laughs> and then has a sip afterwards. Very good thing. It was almost like the slashing the candles in a classic uh, <laughs> yeah. Zorro yeah. film. You know, it was great. brought to mind the sandwiches yeah. and the sea devils for me, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. you, all, uh, you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Never told gobble, you I was gobble, gobble. <laughs> Just, I'm, I'm confused. It's that time again. Are we, have we been forward or backwards? I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows anymore? <laughs> it's time to play a little game that we like to call Crackers or Clangers. So this is where we go through all of the cliffhangers of Day of the Daleks. Were they Crackers? Were they Clangers? And why? Gentlemen, shall we talk about Day of the Daleks? Let's do it. <laughs> Episode one. The controller Skypes Dalek control and they all talk in cliches for a bit. okay so essentially this is the dalek reveal which has already been spoiled from earlier in the story when they revealed a dalek and the name of the story story. yeah so it goes down like a knackered lift when accompanied by the bad dalek voices that we've already talked about so uh i think i mentioned it earlier but catchphrases like they are an enemy of the daleks and exterminate them exterminate them they should be chilling rather than wet so all it really inspired here for me was a bit of disappointment you guys yeah it was flat i mean the the big thing is as you say the element of surprise is spoiled we know that yes it's called day of the jaleks but that's not the point we know yeah. that the, the payoff needs to come in the full reveal at the end of episode yeah. one that's yeah. the big yeah. trope i suppose yeah. of doctor Who. and they'd already done it yeah so. they, you see the cutaway when he says report yeah and it's just a very flat sort of image of a dalek facing yeah. to screen it wasn't something clever like just the eye stalk or you know mm. the skirt or something like that to sort of say oh you're going to see the dalek at the end of this episode we've already mm. seen the dalek halfway through the episode so it's like oh yeah okay fine. yeah yeah so, that, so yeah and then the, then you get the music and that's it and it's yeah. kind of like oh okay yeah. we'll and end it there then you don't think it's improved by the by i the, do uh, the dialect voices that they put on i do it is improved for sure mm. but still falls a little yeah. flat but it still has the same problems as we've just spoken about yeah, the reveals yeah, already been so. spoiled yeah. um but uh nicholas briggs performance uh Doing the voices over the top. Oh, it's really a great sound. You've it, got, mm, yeah. You know, the, the proper Dalek voice, and then you've got the sting that comes mm, in over the mm, top of that mm, as it howls mm, into the end yeah, music. Yeah. Of course. You can't really well, you've miss. got that you know, you cadence. We, we talk about it a bit with Remembrance of the Daleks. There's nothing as chilling as a chorus of Daleks. Yeah. They're chorusing a death chant, essentially. Mm, yeah. When they're behaving like that, when they're hysterical, mm. it's, yeah. it's brilliant. Hysterical is a good word for it, because when yeah. they do get yeah. hyped yeah. up, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it is much more scary. So, yeah, unfortunately, lacking here. Bit of a, a lot clanger. Of, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go with clanger. Definitely. Clangers all around. Clangers all around. <laughs> Episode two. The Doctor chases the rebels into the disused railway tunnel, and a Dalek comes out. <laughs> so, once again... Kind of cool. Maybe as the audience weren't expecting a Dalek already in the 20th century, but a lacklustre and cheap plotting device as the Daleks have already been used, especially for a cliffhanger. Yeah, we've already had it from so, this one. So it's I, kind of, this did, I'm going to say this did virtually nothing for me. I didn't, I didn't mind it. I like, I, yeah, this one, I didn't hate it. I'm going to go, though. I, what I did like about it was the lighting in the tunnels, yeah. Pertwee coming across a Dalek in the shadows yeah. and stuff. It looked cool. It did. The, coming yeah. out of the shadows was... Yeah, uh, that, that was, was cool. the, the one really good bit of direction mm. in the end of this uh, yeah. this episode. The Dalek just appearing out of the dark. And, 
and his yeah. the Pertwee silhouette up the wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The lighting, it's like a, a gentle cracker for me. Like I quite like this one. But yeah, it's not okay. not world breaking. No, I, I think yeah. the image is iconic. Again, is you yeah. know the Doctor and his and his most deadly foe, and the lighting, as you say, Cole, that mm. sort of reflects that heroic silhouette on yeah. the wall. Yeah, it's great. Meeting yeah. a Dalek in a, in a dark corridor is scary yeah, yeah. to me as a child. It was terrifying uh, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So I, sure. like, and yeah. once again, it's the voice too. Like it would have been a lot more effective, I think, if. Uh, if we'd had the, the the right voices there too, no one no one thinks the doctor's going to get killed by the Daleks. <laughs> no, no, you no, know no, it's no. not going to happen. But it's very radio times, isn't it? That shot of the silhouette up the wall mm, and yeah, stuff. It was great. great. It looks awesome. Yeah. So what are we saying? The gentle Gen- cracker for me. Gentle cracker for Dan. Uh, I'd go cracker of the two, but yeah, not not uh, a full cracker. Cranger. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. Uh, there were great elements of it, but it kind of fell flat because mm. the surprise was already used yeah. earlier on. To me, it's like when you wake up and you think it's the weekend and then you realise it's Tuesday and you've got to go to work. <laughs> nice, nice. Gentle disappointment. Episode three, the Doctor is chained to a mind control machine with images of himself from a Doctor Who annual on a slideshow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind this ending, actually. It wasn't overly cliffhangery, but I really like, you know, the, the image of Doctor strapped down with some weird yeah. mind contraption mm leeching his memories onto a screen which looked fantastic I thought it looked good mm. I like the hardball um, yeah. bits yeah. I liked yeah. how they used the intro effect from the actual intro of mm. Doctor Who like underneath <laughs> yeah. all the pictures of, of like Hartnell and Trout so like the, the intro screen. of the show is like the inside of the Doctor's mind yeah yeah that's what it is yeah yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah I like, and they, they redid they touched that up I didn't really like that that they touched that up in the Redux mm. I think that I like the original in this instance yeah well for this one, it really um, it reminded me of being really young watching Doctor Who, mm, yeah. and that was horrifying. The mm. idea of being strapped mm. down, mm. your mind is being leached out into a machine. A bit and, of body horror know, there. We've yeah, talk- yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah, it wasn't overly cliffhangery, but mm. it was still yeah really well done. Nothing like Pertwee in Chains as well. When he's when he's in agony, he does a bit of that cat weasel, that rubbery face. Oh, got a little, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit of that going on here. Yeah. So that's a, okay. yeah, I'd call it a cracker. Uh, but lo- again, lo- gentle. Low-key cracker. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Look, there's no there's no element of surprise to the crack, but it ain't no clang. It ain't no. a clang. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, no clang. Yeah. Uh, I reckon it's also pretty cool in the sense that Doctor Who at this time wouldn't have had a lot of continuity to his past selves very often. Not where you'd see them sort of up on a screen or something. I guess it would have impressed the kiddies. They'd want to keep watching. That's and a y- fair question, isn't it? I mean, yeah. how many times have we seen previous, well, flashbacks to previous Doctors? Mm. When was the three this? Doctors? After this. After oh, this, right. yeah. So this yeah. might have been the yeah. first on-screen glimpse of Hartnell yeah. post So Hartnell. take that, and now also you've got to imagine it from the point of view of someone who's watching it for the first time in 1972. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe pretty effective. Mm. Maybe not so much a cliffhanger, but exciting enough to make you want to, oh, what's going to happen next? I had the yeah. old doctors up. That's yeah. cool. I mean, I felt that way watching it last week. Yeah. I can imagine yeah. watching it for the first time in 1972 it would have mm. been awesome there's right. never yeah. And, yeah and back in the day there's not, never a, an awful lot of detail about the Doctor's past so when it, whenever it, little morsels come yeah, up yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. You, you devour them yeah. it's so very true yeah okay so I'm going to go I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to be kind here because we haven't got a lot to work with I'm going with Cracker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's fair yeah okay so episode 4 I've got a lot to say about this one Okay, we're going to start with, it's the crap joke. We've talked about the crap joke before. Mm, yep. So it's a little private smirk between the Doctor and Joe. The explosion of the house seconds before looked pretty great, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's also with Shura, or AKA Keyboards. <laughs> keyboards was pretty good. 
he made his great sacrifice. So in my opinion, there's something that we haven't, maybe we haven't spoken about at length here. They shouldn't have ended it there. They were going to shoot an extra piece. That's which, right. Yeah. It was a very quick wrap up. I was a bit surprised. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a bit, well, is that all? Are we ending on the crap joke? That's yeah. sort of, and that's, that is what we did. In the novelization by Terrence Dix, there's a following scene and it's uh, the Doctor and Joe going back to the unit labs as they walk in. There's the Doctor and Joe by the console, yes, and they're the reverse yes. selves from episode one. So that's one, what I imagined it, would, it was going to be, but it that's never what happened. it should have been. It, yeah. it squares the yeah. circle and yeah. brings it back again. The whole now, idea, the whole story is about temporal paradoxes, and yes, we get that, that yeah, nice little, off, yeah. basically, yeah. And it would have been, imagine that 1972 finishing that story that way mm. would have been fantastic. Yeah, been yeah. Really, really, really would have been fantastic. The excuses behind not using it are were down to the timing of the episode. They didn't have enough time. They ran out of time. Oh. Not good enough, in my opinion. <laughs> I think they probably should have pushed for it. Well, the thing is, they could have just repeated the first scene they shot. Mm. They like, probably could have yeah. even done just that. You know, That's it, true. Because they're, they're, everything's in that <laughs> and then, scene. Yeah. And then at the end, just yeah. put a little uh, Pertree pursing his lips, doing a bit of a crap joke, and then a yeah. uh, mm. bit of a wink, and then it's yeah. the end. Yeah. 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 And you know what? In the novelization, it ends on a person and a wink. Yeah. A, a pursed yeah. lip and a wink. Mm. It's sort of, uh, he says something like, I've got I've got to get cracking on my tartar. Something tells me I'm going to need it. And he does a little smack. So yeah. they could have ended it there. Well, that's yeah. my favorite uh, cliffhanger of this story. Imagined the cliffhanger. Yeah. Much like the punch in City of Death, uh, who ordered the soup? This one, uh, the imagined cliffhanger is uh, the more... Not in a wink. Yeah. Mm. Dan, your favourite? Oh, well, as I've said, my favourite cliffhanger from this story is the imagined one at the end of the story story where they come back on themselves and the the circle is squared. Steve, is your favourite real or imagined? No, I think I'll go for episode two. I just like the Mm. iconography and the imagery of that one. It is beautiful, yeah. I really liked the third one for the uh, torture scene. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Then in that case, I do want to say I like the idea of the imagined one because, you know, it would have been a great way to end it. But I'm still going to go with episode four. But it's mainly to do with the fact they had no money and the explosion of of Orderly House looked pretty impressive yeah, I was pretty down with it and also keyboards from small faces yeah he, uh, he actually did all right he did all right yeah, yeah I think it's a, a great resolution to the whole story there, mm. it isn't an underwhelming payoff I think the way in which the whole thing ties up mm. leaving aside the crap joke at the end yeah that the Dalek assault on orderly house the way in which they're sort of lured in and Shira mm. blows them all up mm. and the crisis is averted and also the history is averted as well I'd like yeah. to have seen what happened to the resistance fighters I think they just sort of mm. blink out of existence. Oh, God, I hope not. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah, and it's left to the imagination well, there because oh, they were they ever born? I mean, they, they, they the kind thing, of winks yeah. their entire yeah. lives out of existence, but I, for a good cause. I like I like to think of the of the story ending on a scene with the. An older controller in a log cabin at Christmas, <laughs> at Christmas with his with his grandchildren, having presents. Uh, never things. really, never really being aware of the alternate. Yeah history that he could have lived <laughs> does a gnat settle down does she live and settle down in uh, maybe she marries the controller England? maybe that maybe mm-hmm. a gnat's oh no but she doesn't get to control does well? she stay in the 22nd century no oh uh, I don't remember actually I don't, I don't think there's any resolution around that we, we don't know no, what happens to them what about they Monia? do stay because uh, the doctor and Joe are the ones that come back right sure so it's just sure and keyboards he dies. is there yeah yeah, he dies in the explosion. All yeah. oh, right, okay, cool. Yeah, Question but, answered. But whether they continue on in that, that yeah, timeline is, that's is a right. real mystery. I don't. Do know. they disappear from the landscape, or does the landscape morph around them to something else? Who knows? Well, they would never have uh, been born if they've averted the, the whole timeline where the with World War Three and the Daleks take over. I mean, I well, just then think you it's a get parallel into um, yeah, parallel sure. universes. Yeah. Does that start a new? Parallel universe, yeah, where or they still exist. Does, yeah. uh, does yeah. it, well, it all keep, get retconned? Or, well, if it keeps you know, going for them like it is, then there's no point <laughs> in even doing pointless. it because they're still in a Dalek wasteland. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, Cole, <clears> this, <throat> is, this is your story, and um, uh, I love yes. it. Um, but for the for our um, our listeners, our sweet dogs who are looking for an entry into Classic Who, why should we watch this? Why should anybody watch this? Exactly. Great. <laughs> okay, so yeah, essentially, I've chosen this one. What I want to say is, what we have in Day of the Daleks is an excellent example of something that we've spoken about before on this podcast, and particularly in our episode zero. So I'd like to take it back to that a bit, and that is essentially recognizing the design and ambition of a good story behind the limitations of a poor budget. So we've talked about this before, uh, where you have to forgive certain things in the interest of the script that's yeah. there, that's existing, the story. There's a lot to be loved about it. If you can look past the, uh, the embarrassments of, a, of no money, then uh, I think what you've got here is pre a pretty remarkable story. I think what's really important here is you probably have to remember that the Day of the Daleks was done on 10 pounds and three and a half old Dalek bangers left over from the 60s. <laughs> I think it's also a story that challenges the idea of a totalitarian ruled society and how from an enlightened perspective, no one is really free. And I would like to end my explanation of why I've chosen Day of the Daleks with the fact that John Pertwee gives one of his strongest performances as the Doctor. That's true, yeah. Particularly in the scenes with the controller as they debate the circumstances of the now oppressed human race under Dalek rule. Yeah, big, idea, yeah. big ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the controller's perceived place in it all versus the reality of his own enslavement and neglected duty to his own race. Yeah. yeah, I like how you're scared. You're you know shocked and horrified by the rebels and how bloodthirsty and desperate they seem mm. at the start. But then when you put, as the show goes on, they're put into context and you can see how they've been shaped by their society or mm. by, by their enslavement. I I want to actually ask take the opportunity to ask Pete here. Pete, why should we watch this? Why should anybody watch this? I think you're right. It's a perfect powerhouse performance by Pertwee. Yeah. He really drives these this story along. We get those great scenes with the controller. The you know, real gravitas with the dialogue. Mm. It's fantastic and great storyline, really high-end ideas, yeah. high-end sci-fi. Great concept. Yeah. And for, you know, early 70s, it's really pushing, uh, I guess, what they probably thought the audience would deal with as far as time paradoxes and things like that. It's, mm -hmm. you know, pretty high concept for the time. I think it's pretty sophisticated sci-fi. Yeah. For uh, for the TV at the time. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm, I like it. It's a Dalek story, so you, but it's just a little bit of a dip into the Daleks. Like one of the one of the things I've said before, it's good when they use the Daleks, but don't use them too much. Mm. Like they're not mm. they're not slapped all over it. They're just sort of in the background a lot of the time. Yeah, that's true. Working yeah. things from the background. Yeah, well, when we... they do come out, it's and they can't start shooting. It's fine. Yeah, but yeah. they don't dominate the whole story. It's mostly sure. the human agents. Yeah. fighting each other. Yeah, well, they don't even leave Dalek control till episode four. And so, I think that's a good know, idea. Yeah, this is essentially yeah. a human story mm. with. Daleks yeah, as the I menace. Agree. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a story about something that was quite topical at the time. Very. We're looking at the way in which the international community is starting to come together um, under the threat of mutually assured destruction yeah. through nuclear warfare. And it really does sort of promote that idea that the only way that we're going to avoid that doomsday scenario is countries can talk come to together. each other. Yeah, talk yeah. to one another in an era of diplomacy and internationalism. I think Pertwee's attitude, or the Doctor's attitude, as exemplified by Pertwee's acting, is, is fundamental to that as well. You know, he's the one who, as I said before, sort of reaches out to the guerrillas and wants to understand what their point of view is rather than condemning them outright. But also he has that dialogue with the controller and, and he's able to, through words alone, bring him round to their point Point of view and to the point where he actually betrays the Daleks so yeah it's that sort of wonderful sort of comment around what we can do together as a species rather than acting in self-interest and and he, and he starts the, the story off by talking about humans and their petty squabbles <laughs> yeah and mm. then he gets mm. like ankle deep into it and then he was wading in and you know like like you said this, the threat of like mutual issue destruction they've had a few scares at this point in 72 yeah. they've had Prague Spring and before that they had the Cuban Missile Crisis course, it yeah. must have seemed very and like China 
getting nukes mm. at 64. It must have seemed very real to them at the time. So it's just like a great... Yeah. Sort of Would have struck a chord for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the, and the peace talks that they're talking about, like they sort mm. of centralize that as the most important that has to happen otherwise. Yeah. 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 yeah this idea that diplomacy and, and dialogue and, and rationality is the only way that we're going to save ourselves. Mm. All right. Thank yous. We wanted to say thank you once again. As always, to the wonderful Chris Achilleos for his fantastic artwork with Day of the Daleks. I love this artwork. Yeah. I love Achilles. I love most of his work, but this one's particularly great. It looks mm. awesome. Yeah, I think I'm just a big fan of Achilleos in general. Sure. Uh, I do love his sort of portrait style. Mm. It's synonymous for me with the early Target range as yeah. well. That's right. Well, you were saying it was the third Target book you ever owned yeah, as well. Yeah, so yeah, this definitely. artwork would have been on your bookshelf yes. quite early on. As always, we're really grateful. Thanks so much, Chris, yeah. for letting us use your Thank artwork. You. So we got a couple of emails this month. Um, mm. Thank you very much. We got some correspondence and kind words from Damon Haven. Oh, yeah, that was lovely. We did get one other email, but it wasn't for broadcast. But uh, we just wanted to say that we were all in agreement that we love a helpful tip and sunglasses emoji. Thank you. Thanks again. <laughs> uh, and a special shout out, as of today, in fact, to Paul Cornell, who has given us permission. <laughs> we can- we're now officially allowed to call him friend of our podcast. Well, we're so it. Yeah, we're thank you, Paul. It. And going on from last month where we shouted out to a couple of other podcasts, uh, we'll do the same this month. I'll Explain Later is a podcast that we've been really enjoying this last month. Mm. Catch them at Explain Later Pod. And there's a new Australian one called Episodes of Death looking at the not-so-loved Doctor Who stories. If you want to check them out, Episodes of Death. Uh, and one other thank you, guys. Thank you to Pete for joining us today for Daily Thanks so much, Thanks, Pete. Thank you very much. I've loved being on the show. I'm so <laughs> glad we got to do one that you um, that you loved mm. already. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was great. I think it's really cool that um, a lot of our guests are all people that have like been watching Doctor Who with us before. The idea of doing a this podcast ever yeah. even came about. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty cool. There's a few more future names. I'd like to. <laughs> I would like to keep doing it. Yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> all wonderful people. And okay, uh, next month, what is it, Dan? I think it's yours. Oh, it's Curse of Fenric. It's oh, a yeah. Seventh Doctor adventure from uh, 1988. No, it's 1980 from the last year of classic broadcast, 1989. And I love this story. It's got it's got bits of World War Two, the Enigma machine. It's got a little bit of ancient vampires and um, monsters, and then a, an, an overarching plot involving the Doctor and an ancient evil, which I really love. And Ace as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Ace is let's great. Let's never forget. <laughs> let's never forget Sophie Aldridge. Right, easy, easy, Colin. Easy. <laughs> you can either buy Day of the Daleks on DVD from BBC Online or buy the episodes on iTunes. You can follow us here at New to Who on Facebook. Facebook and Twitter at New to Who Podcast. Or even email us at New to Who Podcast at gmail.com. All New to Who Podcast episodes can be found to stream on our website, www.newtowho.com. And you can also click subscribe on iTunes if you feel like it. Well, we hate goodbyes, so until next time, I'm Pete. I'm Colin. I'm Dan. And I'm Stephen. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you.